Hey, thanks for joining us here today at Victory Church, where we invite people to belong before they believe. If you want to know more about who we are and what we do, or if any of our messages have impacted your life and you would like to partner with us in giving to this ministry, we invite you to do so by visiting our website at victory.church. Now, let's check out this week's message from our lead pastor, John Chesty. I think the best way we can start the Father's Day is by having all of us stand, except for the fathers. So if you're a father, I want you to stay, stay seated. But can we just stand and clap and honor the fathers at Edmund, at OKC? Come on, give it up for the dads. Happy Father's Day to all the dads. You can be seated. All of you watching online, uh, thank you so much for the sacrifice that you make as fathers, as husbands and for working on your dad bod so hard, so well. Uh, no, seriously, we, 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 wanna, we wanna honor the dads. And so if you're leaving today, if you're a father, grab a dad's root beer as you're leaving. We got hot dogs, we got all kinds of stuff happening in the lobbies. So we pray that this is a great Father's Day uh, for all of you. We've been in this uh, season called Strength, and we've been looking at a lot of different characters in the Bible. And we're really saying it's the same God then as, as it is today. And so if the same God gave a strength to Gideon or to David or to Paul or to Nehemiah, the same strength that was given to these people all through the Bible, the men and women through the Bible, we can rely upon and receive the grace that comes through the strength of God for all of the circumstances that we face. And today I wanna to bring a message on Father's Day that might be one that you don't really anticipate on Father's Day, but I'll explain why I'm kinda of going this direction. So, so today I wanna to talk about uh, giving and generosity. And you may be thinking, why in the world why we, would, would we be talking about giving and generosity um, on Father's Day? First off, let me just say this little disclaimer. I'm not taking up a special offering at the end of this, okay? So everyone just take a deep breath. The roof's not leaking. We're not raising money for anything. Everything's fine. Everybody, just, everybody together, take a deep breath. <sighs> okay, all right. Here's, here's why I wanna talk about generosity. There's something happening in our world that hopefully you haven't been living under a rock. Uh, you see $5 gasoline. Uh, you see mortgage rates going up. Simultaneously, you see stock market going down. Uh, you see inflation going up. Most likely, you're getting the same salary, but your salary doesn't go as far as it did last month because inflation is 8.6% up. So instead of getting a promotion, you've basically gotten a demotion. All of the things that the world would show us and that the world would throw at us uh, seems as though we should hoard or keep, or um, protect. But I wanna remind, really, the purpose of this message today is to remind you that there are two economies happening. There is the world's economy, the things that we see in the day-to-day -day world, but there's also God's economy. There's a whole different economy that's all through the scriptures that are filled with God's promises, and one of these economies is very unstable, very shaky, uh, the reason the stock market does this is because no one can predict the economy. No, it's, it's, very it's very volatile. No one knows what's going to happen. But there is a whole other economy that we can depend on that is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so the, really the point of my message today is not to set you up to receive an offering. Your children of God 
what I wanna remind you of is as we enter into what I believe, and I hope I'm wrong, what an encouraging message so far, what I believe is going to get worse before it gets better, all right, in the world's economy. So as believers, we have to be um, thinking on a different plane. We've talked about this before, how believers have the ability to have double vision. It's not that we stick our head in the sand and pretend like none of the things around us are happening. It's that we have the ability as believers to see the world economy and even engage in it. We should be wise. We should pay off debt. We should save money. We should invest in the stock market. We should do all of the things in the world economy, but we are different than the world. This is not our world, this is not our home. We have a different home, we have a different economy. So we can look, amen, so we can look and be wise and engage in the world's economy while simultaneously understanding that there is a greater economy at work. That we don't want to be so distracted by the world's economy that we take our eye off of a heavenly economy. And that's what I wanna talk about today. Nobody said, what's that got to do with Father's Day? I'm a dad, uh, I'm a husband, and I know a lot of dads, and I know a lot of husbands, and I talk to a lot of dads, and I talk to a lot of husbands. The number one thing that men worry about is providing for their family, most of the time. That's not a sexist statement. I'm not saying that women can't be providers. There was a season of Michelle and I's life where Michelle was the breadwinner. She was bringing home more bacon than I was, and I was like, you go, girl. This is cool with me. I'll just sit back. But I'm, I'm just telling you, ladies, your husband, your man, your dad, your, you know, the, 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 the father of your children, if he's staying awake at, at night worrying about something, it's probably has to do with being a provider. So this is a great message for the dads. It's a great message for all of us as we lean into this economy and understanding what, God, what God's doing in, in, in and through us during this time. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12 I'm gonna read a story to you um, and we're gonna lean on someone's strength in the text. Someone who I believe God gave a great amount of strength and grace to. And it's, it's a great story in the Bible if you've never read it. it. It's many times just referred to as the story of the widow's might. The widow's might. And I'm not talking like might, like M-I-G-H-T. It's M-I-T-E. It, it was a form of, of a coin during this day. In fact, if you've ever seen me where this is, this is really valuable to me and important to me because I, I love this story in the Bible. I wear this necklace around my neck. I've worn it about four or five years now, ever since I got back from Jerusalem the first time I went. I bought in Jerusalem an actual mite or coin from Jesus's time, and I wear this around my neck. And every time I see it, I'm reminded of the widow's ability and strength to give it all she got. She gave it all she had, and it's just this constant reminder. So this story is very near and dear to me. It's in Luke chapter 21, but it's also in Mark chapter 12. We're gonna read it in Mark chapter 12 today. Verse 41, let's hear what the word of the Lord is to us today. It says, and he sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury. This is being Jesus, this is he being Jesus. So Jesus sat down, and he's just chilling. People are coming into the temple, and he's just watching. He's just observing how they're putting their money into the treasury. It says, many rich people were putting in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which amount to a cent. Calling his disciples to him, he said to them, truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. For they all put in out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she owned, all she had to live on. This nameless person, 
isn't even given a name, was just known as the widow. This nameless person baffles me at the strength that she had to see past her own economic situation and to be able to, to look into a different economic solution, a different economic world, and do something that, that still baffles me. She had the strength to do really hard things on earth because she understood God's kingdom in heaven. She, she had the ability to look past something very difficult and look into a different realm that I believe we can all learn from her today. So if we're taking notes, I want you to write this down. The sermon title today is we're gonna learn from the widow's strength. And the subtitle of my message is the strength to trust in God's economy. So what's crazy to me about this is the, the little amount of money that she gave. She gave a, a seemingly tiny amount of money. Um, this, this amount of money, you can go back and, and research it more. The scriptures, some translations say different things. Some say might. Some say uh, small, two small copper coins. But if you go and do the research of this to, kind of, to, try, to, to, to try to kind of put it in your boat to you kind of get a context of it. One historian said that it would basically be the equivalent of six minutes of work during an entire work week. Okay, so whatever your salary is, if you know what you make per week, do some math and figure out what kind of amount of money this would be attributed to you. Okay, so let's say Oklahoma, the, the, um, the minimum wage is $7.25 an hour. Okay, so with that calculation, if you do that calculation, I did it earlier, I'm not that smart, I didn't do it on the fly. It's, it's, it would basically be 12 cents. So this woman gave, gave 12 cents. Now we need to understand the economy of this time, okay? So we understand our economy in America, uh, and we think we're going through some difficult times in our economy, but we just need to kind of take a little quick history lesson, quick trip down history. At this time, the Romans had taken over this area of Israel, and they were ruling, and they were putting high, high, high taxes. Most people were farmers. There was an agricultural age. Uh, taxes were as high as 50%, some, some, sometimes way higher than 50%. And if you didn't pay your taxes, they would just come and confiscate every, all of your possessions. They would take your house. They would take your farm. They would take everything you have. And so it drove them into poverty. And they weren't allowed to have access. excess. If they had any sort of nest egg, if they had hidden some coins under their pillowcase and a Roman soldier came in and found something like that, they would, their whole house would be destroyed. And so much, much of the Israelite people during the season were just in extreme poverty. This woman, the nameless woman, even had a further disadvantage because she was a widow. Women in this time were not allowed to own property. So if her husband died, most likely she did not own property. She would have to go and live with either her, her father, she would either have to go and live with, with her eldest son or, in, or, or in-laws or something of that nature. And if she didn't have anybody else to rely on, she would just be thrown out into the streets with nothing. So now we begin to understand the context of what she might have been going through in this season and what she was, going, uh, what she was facing. Two copper coins that are worth nothing. Now think about this, okay? This woman gave nothing, but at the same exact time, she gave everything. In, in the world's economy, she gave nothing. Like if you would have just sat there and not known anything about her and you walked, see her walk through and give the equivalent of, of a dime and two pennies in the offering, you would have been like, oh my gosh, what in the world? This lady gave nothing. Why? Because it didn't move the needle. <laughs> 
It didn't move the needle of what they were trying to raise to upkeep the temple. But when Jesus sat down, it says that Jesus was observing this and Jesus looking at it, this is what I want you to catch. Jesus was looking at the giving, not through the world's economy. Jesus was looking at the giving through a different economy, a heavenly economy that we, I want to try my best to to expose to you today. And this is just a reminder. Just just see today's message as like a Sunday school lesson. And these are all things you've already known. But John just came to remind you because I think there may be something coming. There may be a famine season, a recession's coming. Difficult seasons are coming. Hate to be the barrier of bad news. And maybe I'm wrong. And if I'm wrong, I'm happy. I just came to tell you that even if we walk into a famine, you are the children of God and you function off a different economy, okay? So this is just a reminder. So what I want to do is I want to use this text, and I'm just going to go through it and kind of show you some things that the Holy Spirit kind of highlighted to me, all right? And maybe you'll find some other cool stuff that the the Holy Spirit will highlight to you that I don't cover. So let's go back to the text. The first thing I want to show you before I even give you the first point, what really struck out to me as I just began to read the text is it says that Jesus was observing. Jesus was observing, now, why is that interesting? For me, it's interesting. I had to go back and look at the, the Greek word for observing. The Greek word for observing uh, is therao, and it means to spectate, to view attentively, to discern, and to survey. The reason this is important is it doesn't say that he was, he was spectating like he was the ruler and saying, shame on you, shame on you, shame. It's not this fear tactic at all. It wasn't like, well, Jesus is watching, so you better get more in there. You better do the right thing. It's not that hard. It says that he was discerning. He was, he was surveying. Think about what the word survey means. When you, when you get your land surveyed, the surveyor is going to come out, and they're going to look at your property, but then they're also going to zoom out from a GPS perspective and just get the whole survey. I want to see your situation in the context of everything. Okay, so Jesus is observing us. And and it it was a little convicting for me as I began to think, okay, if Jesus came in, the text says that he came down and he sat opposite the treasury and he was just observing. And it made me think, okay, if Jesus came and sat opposite me, what would he observe? (laughs) And it goes beyond the what, okay? So let me me show you this. This is is the part that I really want to lean into. Let's go back to verse 41. It says he sat opposite the treasury and it began observing. Now, this is where I want you to lean in, okay? So it says the, the matter in the way that he was observing, okay? He sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how. Come on, say this with me. Say how. I want you to lean into this. How the people were putting money into the treasury. Uh, the Greek word for how is the Greek word pos or pos, and it means in what way. It doesn't say he was observing what they gave. He was observing how they gave it. It's because he came in to observe. He came in to survey. He came in to discern. He doesn't really care as much about what you're doing as much as he cares about how you're doing it. Have you ever heard somebody say, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. So the first thing I want you to take, if you write down, if you're taking notes, is I need the strength to place how over what. It's not what she gave. Jesus was moved by how she gave. David, when he was selected king, remember when Solomon came to select the next king, and, and, and Jesse, David's dad, kind of had all of his best sons lined up there, the tall ones, the great ones, the, the older ones, but there was a, a forgotten one that was out in the field, David. 
And right in that story, it talks about how God does not look at man the way the man looks at man. God sees past what we see, and he looks at the heart. Why? It's because he's observing. He looks past the what, and he looks into the how. And this goes beyond money. God, God is not, not, not so concerned. Uh, God is more concerned about how you are angry than what you're angry about. God's more concerned about how you serve than what you serve. Um, so, so God leans into this, and he's very concerned about our how. How do we love? How do we give? How do we steward? How do we argue? I think our culture could get a lesson in this. Did you know that God's more concerned about how you argue than what topic you're arguing about? We could become so obsessed with the what Whatever the political thing is, you all are thinking about a million options right now. What if God's more concerned about how we argue than what we argue? God is leaning into this. And, and what I realized as I studied this is my how is my most revealing part of my life. It's, the reason God cares so much about your how is because your how reveals your heart. Because out of the abundance of the heart, abundance of the mouth, the heart, the heart's a bounce of the heart, the mouth speaks. So it comes out of your heart, okay? So the reason he, he's, he's obsessed with, with your heart and the only way that he knows to get to your heart, he can see your heart through your how. So, so how you live your life reveals what you bow to in your life. So I could, you know, how you spend your money reveals what your money bows to. How you spend your time will reveal the heart behind how you bow your time to whatever it is you're giving your time to. Your, your how is a very revealing thing. So how you raise your kids will reveal the heart or the values that you wanna raise your kids up to. So your how, you get, you get it. So Jesus is observing, not the what, he was, he was observing the how. Now this is how Paul talks about this with giving, and I want, you to, I want you to see how this even pops out with Paul. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says, remember this, Whoever sows so sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what? So Paul deals with the what. He said, here's the what. You should give what you have decided in your heart to give. And then he says, now let me show you the best way to do it, the best how. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So here's what you should give, here's how you should give it. Because God's more concerned about you being a cheerful giver than a reluctant or a compulsive giver. So, so you know, I won't spend a ton of time here, but this, this, this Greek word for, uh, for, for reluctive, is, in some translations it says grudgingly. Uh, in, in, in the Greek, this word means, uh, it's the word, Greek word ek, and it means from, by, away from. So it's like, it's like I give, but I'm like, ugh. ugh. This is the person that you're checking out, and they say, would you like to round up? And you're like, ugh, <laughs> fine, <laughs> yes, leave me alone, you know. <laughs> it's still, you're still giving, and that's okay, you're being generous, but God's like, I want you to do it with a heart of cheerfulness. Amen. You don't do it compulsively, you know. I, 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 one of my biggest concerns with ever preaching on giving is that, you know that sermons can be very manipulative? Sermons could talk you into doing something. That's not ever my heart. My, one of my biggest fears is that I would preach a sermon that just compels people to give, but God had nothing to do with it. Amen. 
He says, I don't want you to, God's like, I don't want you to give that way. I don't want you to feel compelled to give compulsively. Someone just talked you into it, right? He says, I wanted it to come out of the abundance of your heart. I want it to be something that the Holy Spirit drops something in your heart and you're like, yes, God is in this and I'm excited about it and I wanna give to this. This is how the Holy Spirit will prompt you to give is there's something inside of you, not that it doesn't hurt, not that it's not a sacrifice, but there's something in you that bubbles up and you're like, yes, this is a passion, this is something I'm into and I wanna give to this. In fact, the Greek word for cheerful is the Greek word hilaros, which where we get our word hilarious. God's like, I want you to be so excited about giving that it's hilarious. This, why? Because God is more concerned in how you give than what you give, all right? So if you wanna change your how, change which economy you're focused on. If you're giving from the perspective of the world's economy, it's always gonna be grudgingly. Ah, I'm trying to save here, God. <laughs> I have debt, God. You want me to tithe? My tithe is as much as a car payment, God. Okay, ah. No, no. There's a joyfulness to it. And how do we get this joyfulness? We take our, world, our eyes off of the world's economy and on to God's economy. When we focus on God's economy, it becomes cheerful. It becomes hilarious. It becomes joyful. So let me, let me, let me set you up for, for point number two. Okay, let's go back to the text. It says, he sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how the people, now this is where I want you to lean in. This is what he's observing how they're doing. Putting money into the treasury. Now I want you to listen how many times this word put or putting comes into the play. And many rich people were putting in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which amounted to cent. Calling his disciples to him, he said to them, truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the other contributors to the treasury. Have you ever heard somebody say, you wanna put in on this? You know, we're gonna come together, you put in, we're all gonna put in, and we're gonna do something collectively. This word put in in the Greek is the Greek word balo, and it means to throw, to let go of a thing without caring where it falls. Uh, it also says to give over to one, uh, one's care uncertain about the results. So I'm, I'm, Jesus is observing how we put, how we cast, how we put it into someone else's care, not controlling or manipulating what happens with it. God is, God is observing this. Um, so it starts with putting in. I want you to think about this. It starts with putting in. But then Jesus begins to introduce a second factor in, into his observation. Okay, I'll show it to you. It's in the very next phrase. For they all, here it is, put in out of. So he's saying put in again, but he's introducing this other thing, out of. So he says they put in, put in out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had. So what's happening here? Okay, what Jesus is saying is that not all put-ins are created equal. Let me give you an example that I think will help clarify it. So let's say you make $60,000 a year, household income, okay? You have some really good friends uh, who do really well, and they bring in about a million dollars a year. And these friends of yours say, hey, you guys wanna go to dinner tonight? And you're like, sure, that sounds fun. So they invite you to dinner, and then when you get there and you open the menu and you're like, oh, 
Have you ever like opened a menu and been like, why did we come here? Uh, do you guys have free bread? <laughs> Let me tell you a trick to these fancy restaurants. So you, you open the menu, you see it, you order really small, and then you, right before you leave, you say, could we get another refill on the bread, please? And a doggy bag? And you take home the free bread, okay? So that's just a little trick. Take that, take that with you. So, so then, you know, you order like you're making $60,000 a year. We're going to share the Cobb salad, and we'll have water to drink. And, <laughs> and then your friends are like, uh, we'll have these six appetizers. I'll take the ribeye. I'll take the dessert. You know, they order all crazy. And then the check comes, and your friend says, hey, you guys want to just split the check? Now think about it. You're both about to put in the same amount of money. The difference is, is what it came out of. Not all put-ins are created equal. And this is all Jesus is saying. He said, hey, I just wanna highlight something, disciples. I don't know if you saw it yet, but all these wealthy people came in and they put in these giant sums of money that in the world's economy would make people be like, wow. Look, at you're such a blessing to the kingdom of God. Thank you so much for everything that you did. And Jesus is like, I'm not impressed by that. Because I'm not focused on what, it, what, what was put in. I'm focused on what it came out of. So this, this is something that, that we need to lean into, okay? We need to, to, to begin to understand this, okay? So the second thing, if you're taking notes, write this down. I need, to, I need the strength to put in from the right out of. Let me highlight this for you a little bit more. I'm not sure you're getting it yet. So in the world's economy, the religious people were giving far more. Okay, this would be like, if Elon, if Elon Musk walked in here right now, okay, uh, and then after y'all stopped gawking at him and looked back up here, and then, and then he said, hey, I heard that you guys are trying to build an Edmund campus, and I'm here to write a $10 million check to build the Edmund campus. I'd be like, Woo! And then I'd jump off the stage and I'd give him a big hug. Like, that's just what I would do. Why? Because I'm looking at the world's economy. Right? I see a need. This dude walked in, met a need. Somebody on the far right, on the second row, or sitting at the Edmond campus, may make $30,000 a year and give a $1,000 gift. And God would be like, forget you, Elon. This is my heart. This is my heart. This, he looks at the out of. He's focused on something different than we're focused on. He sees the world through a different lens because he's not focused in on the world's economy. He's focused in on God's economy. So God, think about it this way. In God's economy, okay, in the kingdom of God, generosity generates its power from what it comes out of. Generosity, we all, we all know the principles of generosity, right? The seed, I think the power of generosity comes when God looks at what it comes out of and he's like, you have my heart. I'm drawn to this. It doesn't mean that that, that gift meant nothing. I think God sees this. I'm not trying to devalue this. I'm thankful for any gift that, that people wanna give to the kingdom of God in any capacity, whether it's at a church or a nonprofit or helping somebody off the street. Any generosity is good generosity. But I think God is compelled and, and moved like, like the way Jesus was moved. When he sees somebody who's, who's giving out of something, God's like, listen, that's the heart. Because Why? Because he's, he's surveying it all. He's observing and if, if we're too obsessed with people's observation of our giving, we'll miss God's observation of our giving. Yeah. Yeah. 
If we're too consumed with letting everybody know how generous we are, then enjoy the observation of mankind, but you'll miss the observation of the Lord. We should be so focused in on the Lord and knowing at all times that when I give, when I give generously, when I give, when nobody knows I'm giving, when I help my neighbor pay their mortgage payment and nobody will ever know about that, God is posted up opposite the treasury saying, I saw that. I saw what you put in and I saw what it came out of. And when we begin to live like this, we can begin to take our, our eyes off of the world's economy and the world can be going to hell in a handbasket because we become so focused on a different economic system that we know that God's promises are true and we begin to stand on the rock of ages and not the feds who wanna bump up the interest rates and make the whole world panic, okay? The feds can do this, God does this. He's stable, he's secure, there's nothing changing. We can lean into God's economy. So, so think about it this way. God is not moved by the gross of your gift. He's moved by the sum of your sacrifice. Because this is a dirty word in our culture. We don't like this word. Do you know what it means to give out of your out of? When you put in, in the correct proportion to your out of, you know there's a word for this. It's called sacrifice. How do I know when my, my put in is measuring up with my out of, your flesh won't like it? That's how you'll know. You'll know because your flesh is like, ooh, no, I don't think I want to do that. <laughs> if your first reaction in generosity is, ooh, no, thank you, you're probably on the right track. I've had people say before, hey, I feel like the Lord, I feel like the Lord is, is leading me to, to really to pay this person's mortgage, to, to pay off someone's debt, to give a donation to a nonprofit, whatever it is. And they say, do you, think that the, do you think that's the Lord speaking to me? And I'm like, well, I don't think it's the devil. Like, <laughs> I don't think the devil's like, hey, I got an idea. Let's be generous today. So, so we lean into this. What's the Lord saying to us? Let me show you a couple of examples of this, okay? So real quickly, there was a plague coming on the Israelites. The prophet Gad tells David to go to the, to the threshing floor and, and offer a sacrifice, okay? So, so let, me, let me show you this. In 2 Samuel 24, verse 24, so, so the owner of this place is like, oh, it's the king. You don't need to buy this land. I'm just gonna give it to you. You're the king, please. We, we don't take your money here. We just wanna give this to you and I want you to show this. But the king replied, no, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my burnt offerings that cost me nothing. David understood that the put in means nothing if it's not coming out of. He understood that there had to be sacrifice. David understood this and, and, and David understood that it wasn't the offering that moved the Lord, it was the sacrifice. It was the sacrifice. Deuteronomy 16, 16 says, no one should appear before the Lord empty-handed. Each of you must bring a gift, now watch these words, in proportion to the, to the, way, to the, Lord, uh, to the way the Lord your God has blessed you. God is not moved by the size of the gift. It, it, let me ask you this, okay? Let's go back to Elon Musk, all right? If I asked you a question, if, if, would you rather have a portion of Elon Musk's wealth or a proportion? 
A portion, if I gave you 20, if, even like if Elon Musk gave you 20 bucks, you got a portion of it. But if you get a proportion of it, you're getting a percentage of it. There's a big difference between tipping God and giving him a proportion to God. He's moved by the sacrifice, okay? And, and I prepared myself before the sermon. I'm cool with the silence. It's all, it's all good. Now, let me give you a, a New Testament example, okay? Something really cool about this text that I fully still can't comprehend and, and you could easily preach this widow's strength at the same thing as the Macedonian church. We could preach a sermon called The Strength of the Macedonian Church from this text right here, 2 Corinthians 8. It says, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian church. Okay, let me pause for just a second. All the sermons we've been doing on strength, from Gideon to David to Nehemiah to Paul We've said the same thing every single week in order for you to have the strength to do anything that, you, that, that all these people do, the, the, the same strength. You need God's grace. God's grace brings his strength. Now, I want you, I'm gonna read this again. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian church. And here's the grace they received, verse two. In the midst of a very severe trial, in the midst of a recession, in the midst of a downing turn economy, their overflowing joy, they cheerfully, and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. What would we call that? We would call that sacrifice. They're put in, lined up with their out of entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege in sharing in this service to the Lord's people, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then by the will of God, also to us. And then they begin to talk to, he begins to talk to Titus. Therefore, or so, we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning to bring also the, to completion this act of grace on your part, but you, but, but since you excel in everything, he's like, he's like, Titus, you're good at everything. You have the grace of faith. You have the grace in speech. You have the grace in knowledge, in complete earnest and in love. We have kindled in you. Now watch this. See that you also excel in this grace of giving. Did you know that you could actually receive a grace, an empowerment, a strength from the Lord to become more generous? A couple of verses later in verse 10, Paul continues, he says, and here is my judgment about what is best for you in, in this matter. Last year, you were, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it. Watch this. According to your means, according to your out of. I'm not asking you to give any number. I'm not asking you to say, everybody that gives has got to give at least $5,000. He's like, no, I'm just, I'm just asking you to give in accordance with your out of. The very next verse, verse 12. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Man will always be focused in on the put in. God is more focused on the out of. Okay, the last thing I wanna share 
So when I, when, I, when I preach, I don't know if it's because I was a preacher's kid and I grew up and I've heard 5,000 sermons. I've heard, I feel like I've heard every sermon on every single topic. So much so that sometimes when I, when I, when I hear the beginnings of a sermon, I'm like, yep, heard this one. I, I can go home now. So when I write sermons, I love to just try to find stuff I've never seen before. So I'm always looking for some, some word or some, I try to put myself in the text or something to, to, and I'm asking the Holy Spirit all along, Holy Spirit, show me something I've never seen before. And that's a good prayer to pray because he'll, he'll show you something you've never seen before. You can read the same verse every day and the Holy Spirit's good enough to show you something different every day. So, so I was praying about this story and the widow and all this and I'm like, Holy Spirit, show me something you know, I've only got two points. No sermon has two points, Lord. I need one more point. You know, you can't have a two-point sermon. That's heresy. So, so I wake up one day, and I, and I really sense the Holy Spirit just saying, well, you're missing, like, the, the easiest part of this whole message. It's the widow's strength. So, so I just begin to really process through what a widow is, okay? Uh, point number three, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Point number three, I need the strength to be dependent. Now I want you to think about what a widow is. We would all look at a widow as we should. The Bible tells us to care for the widows and the orphans. Um, we would all look at a widow and have pity. Like we would think, oh, poor, this poor person or this poor child or this poor, poor widow. And I think we should have pity, we should have empathy and we should care for the widows and the orphans and we do. But I also wanna spin it a little bit of a different angle to think about that possibly being a widow might have unleashed one of her greatest superpowers. The ability to be utterly and totally dependent on the Lord. No one else to depend upon. In that day and age, she was, it, the women were not treated well. She couldn't have equal rights. She couldn't do anything. She couldn't own land. She wouldn't be able to work the, the fields. She wouldn't be able to do the things that men did. So she would have a very difficult time raising her own salary, raising her own well-being. She probably, possibly homeless. We don't know this, this woman's story. So she was forced to be completely and utterly dependent upon the Lord. I don't know about you, but the, I can tell you the times that I'm closest with the Lord is when I'm lost, is when I don't know what to do. And, and, and really, in our humanity, that's usually when we're the closest to the Lord. When we, when we reach the end of our rope, <laughs> that's when we're like, okay, Lord, now I need your help. So we've gone from being independent to being, okay, I don't know what else to do. Lord, will you please help me? And we live in a culture where this runs rampant. We live in the land of the free, the home of the brave, independence for all. We live in a culture where our goal is to be independent, right? This, this woman was completely dependent upon the Lord. John 15, four, this is Jesus's words, and let me unpack this, we'll be done. John 15, four, Jesus says this, remain in me, as I also remain in you, okay? In other words, Jesus is saying, be dependent upon me and I'm gonna be with you. And then he says, no branch can bear fruit by itself. What does by itself mean? No branch can bear fruit independently. It must 
be dependent on the vine. Okay? It says, neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So you gotta be dependent on me. You wanna do something? You wanna bear fruit? Be dependent on the Lord. He says, I am the vine. And then he comes and gives us this, this physical picture. I'm the vine, you're the branch. Look at your neighbor and say, you're the branch. If you remain in the vine and I in you, which he's already promised that if you'll remain in me, I'll remain in you. Okay, so if you'll stay in the vine, you will bear fruit. But independent from me, you can do nothing. It doesn't say you can do some stuff. You'll, you'll do okay, you'll be okay. It says independent from me, if you don't remain in me, you can do nothing. Okay, so now I wanna use kind of the same picture, the same illustration. So picture a, a, a vineyard and there's this grapevine, okay? And there's the, the vine that runs down the rows, and then what comes off the rows are the branches. And if you've ever been to a vineyard, you're, you're kind of with me, tracking with me. Where does the fruit grow? On the branches. So Jesus is saying, hey, I'm just the vine. I'm gonna keep you true. I'm gonna supply a constant flow of source. The branch isn't out here going, well, I wonder if we're gonna get nourished today. The, the branch isn't worried about it because he knows that the vine is constantly delivering all the nutrients, the water, anything I need to produce fruit is coming right down the vine. And so if I'll just stay connected to the vine, you know what would be really stupid for the branch to do? Produce this cluster of grapes and then be like, well, I hate to let go of it because what if the vine stops producing the problem is, is we get our eyes off the vine, we get our eyes off the God's kingdom, and we put our eyes in the world's kingdom. And in the world's kingdom, you should be afraid. <laughs> but in God's kingdom, we, sh we, we have nothing to fear. We can let go of the grape, okay? In fact, do you know what, you know what happens to a branch if it holds on to a grape cluster too long? It rots. It rots. In fact, when you, and the branch kind of has this idea that I can let go of this fruit because I know this fruit is gonna nourish somebody. This fruit is gonna be satisfying. There's gonna be a family that sits around the dinner table and partakes of what I produced, what God produced through me. And they're gonna go and, and make a fine wine out of this and there'll be a family that sits around a table and drinks a great glass of wine. And so yeah, I, I'm, I'm good with releasing this because I'm just a vessel for God's goodness to flow through. And so I release it back into the world as fruit for God's kingdom. And I release it cheerfully, not reluctantly or under compulsion. I do it with cheer because I know that I'm connected to the vine. And in comes the next flow of nourishment I need to produce more fruit. Now what you'll know is if you walk through a vineyard one year after the next year after the next year, the first cluster of grapes that a branch produces, it's just real small little bitty tiny cluster of grapes, maybe five or six grapes. But if that branch will release those grapes, more comes in the second time. And the next season, I've got two clusters of grapes. And the next season, I've got three clusters of grapes. So this is the principle of God's kingdom. This is the principle of God's kingdom. And if you wanna, if you wanna just stay on the branch and remain in the vine but never release anything, that's okay. I, I actually think Jesus would still love you and still nourish you and still take care of you. You just won't produce a whole lot of fruit. 
And some Christians are okay, just kind of staying in the vine and just kind of mediocre living through life with what they got. And these are promises of God. And I'm telling you, if we can get our eyes, this is actually a, a, an opportunity for us, guys. This is an opportunity for us. When the world goes to famine, one of the greatest testimonies of your life could be you living a fruitful life, fruitful life in the midst of a famine. And people are like, how in the world are you producing fruit right now? We're in the desert. He's like, and then you introduce them to a different kingdom. Uh, this, this happened in, in, in Genesis chapter 26. Genesis chapter 26. And if you, if you read this chapter really fast, you'll miss it. It starts off, I think it's in verse one and maybe verse two. In Genesis chapter six, it says, and a great famine came on the land. That's how the chapter starts, okay? So if a movie starts and tells you there's a famine, you got it, okay? We're in a famine. That's how the chapter starts. A few verses later, we're talking, it's talking about Isaac, and I wanna read for you verse 12. Verse 12 of Genesis 26 says this. It says, Isaac planted crops in that land. Which land? The famine. Who's dumb enough to plant a crop in a famine? This guy. And the same year, he reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. He had the faith to see a different realm, a different kingdom. Guys, this is an opportunity for us, okay? I am not telling you to drain your bank accounts and give it to somebody. That's foolishness, all right, unless the Lord tells you. I'm not, I don't think that's the moral of this story. And if a preacher gets up and says, see, the widow gave everything she had, you should empty your bank accounts and give it to the church. I'm not sure that's the moral of the story. I think the moral of the story is to say, you know what, I see the world's economy, I'm in the midst of a turmoil, turmoil, a turmoil situation, but I see another economy at work. So what does this mean for Christians? Please don't stick your head in the sand and pull all your money out of the stock market and everything, just, just go crazy. And that's, I think Christians have the ability to do both. Where, where, did, where did Isaac sow his seed? He sowed it in the famine. Right? So we have the wisdom and the know-how to live a life in the world's economy. We invest, we, we pay off debt, we save money, we do all the things in the world's economy. But all I'm saying to you, as we walk into what I believe is a famine, never, ever, ever lose sight of God's economy. And never, ever, ever let fear from the world's economy impact your investment in God's economy. Okay? You received that word today? All right. I just wanna pray for you in closing. No offering, we're not gonna take up a special offering for the re leaky roof, you're good. We're gonna walk in this next season with our heads high, not fearful of who's the president, not fearful of who's setting the interest rates, not fearful of the stock market, not fearful of inflation, not fearful of stagflation. We're walking in on solid rock of God's promises for our finances, amen? Edmund, okay, see, let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your economy. We thank you for the kingdom of God. We thank you that you are an unchanging God. You never change. Your promises are yes. God, we pray that you would give us the widow's strength. We pray for this grace. God, we're gonna need grace for this. 
it's really hard when we see our bank account and when we see um, our industry that we're working on and we're seeing inflation and we're paying $5 a gallon for gas. God, every day we're inundated with, with a constant barrage of fiery darts from the world's economy. What we're asking for today, God, is you would give us the strength to lean into your economy. God, I pray over people right now at the Edmond campus, here at the OKC campus, those watching online, that are in an industry that is being heavily impacted by this economy. I pray that you would be their provider. I pray that you would do what you do. The word says you are Jehovah Jireh. God, that, that, that employer is not our resource. The government is not our resource. You are our only resource, Lord. Our hope is in nothing else but you. But God, we're gonna need your grace. We're gonna need your grace. Empower us, Father. Give us wisdom, give us insights, Father. I pray that you would give us wisdom and insight in, a, in an economy that's going downward. God, give us wisdom to invest in things that no one's investing in. God, you said that you would give us the mysteries. God, show us mysteries, show us things that no one else sees. May your Holy Spirit give us business ideas that no one else has. May your Holy Spirit give us ideas around a board table that no one else at that boardroom table has. God, help us, give us wisdom to, to even tell our bosses ideas that our bosses have never even conceived or thought of. And it would be all from you, Lord, all for your glory. We thank you, God, that we are vessels and we promise, we commit to remain in the vine and release the fruit knowing that another cluster of grapes is right behind it. We thank you, God. We thank you, God, that you're bringing a return even in a famine. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Thank you for joining us here today for this week's message. And here at Victory Church, we are called to equip people to live in His presence, move beyond ourselves, and be transformed. And this can only happen through your radical generosity, your serving, and your prayers. If this message or any of our messages have impacted your life and you would like to partner with us by giving into this ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at victory.church/give. Thank you again for joining us and have a great day.